0: If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14. We continue our study through Mark, and as God would have it, a lot of things are really falling into place. You know, when God gets a hold of something, they tend to fall into place. Could I get an amen? D-Now this week, the things with spirits there. I woke up troubled in my spirit this morning. Not about this message, because this message is is His Word, but just about how we receive it. I want us to think this morning, Chris Jones said something last night that you'll hear me say a couple of times today, kind of inserted. When we get saved, this is what happens. God steps out of heaven and steps into our heart. Wow. This morning we're going to talk about authentic worship. Now for those here for the first time... I'm not one of those that go to the pulpit every week in tears. I just want to tell you that. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of things going on that really has made me tender to the leadership of the Spirit. And I hope it conveys today, and I hope this is not just another worship service that you sit in. But I hope literally, if God has never stepped out of heaven into your heart, I hope today it happens. And if he has, and your heart's grown cold, I hope he does it again today. We're going to read a story a message entitled, Authentic Worship. If you will, if you found Mark chapter 14, we're going to actually pick up in verse 3, if you will stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Okay. And while he, that's Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, Whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Let's pray together. Father, I don't know what all you are wanting to do this morning, but I know it must be something special. Because all morning long, the enemy has tried to interrupt it. I pray that today that you will lift the blinders from our hearts. I pray that you will lift the blinders from our traditions and our preconceptions. And I pray that you will lift those blinders that you can turn the light on in our lives about what it really means when we come and worship you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God in His divine will knew that I was going to need this, so I begin with a story. How many of you remember in the 70s, the Afro-American comedian Flip Wilson? You can't remember that, Michael. You're not old enough. Flip Wilson did a sketch one time. It was called the What's Happening Now Church? And if you remember, you had, he had his mock congregation out there, and he said, if this church is going to serve God, this church has got to learn to crawl. And the congregation said, let the church crawl, preacher, let the church crawl. This was an Afro-American congregation, okay? And he said, that's so good. He said, if the church is ever going to grow, after they learn to crawl, they're going to have to learn to walk. And the congregation echoed, let the church walk, preacher, let the church walk. He says, amen, as if the church is ever going to grow, they have to, after they learn to crawl and walk, they have to learn to run. And the congregation said, let the church run, preacher, let the church run. And he said, and if the church is ever going to run, you're going to have to dig deep in your pockets and you're going to give. And there was a pregnant pause. And then the people said, let the church crawl, preacher, let the church crawl. You know, I only begin with that to say this. There are some times that we think we want the church to do something, God's people to do something, the body of Christ to do something, or anything in our lives. And when we actually get into involved of in actually happening, we discover that it costs too much. I could tell you story after story, but for the sake of time, I will just... Get to the to the text. Worship, authentic worship, will cost you much. But it will pay you more than you ever give out. Now today we have read about a lady who came in where Jesus was uh, um, eating with the men. And it's interesting and it's well not worth noting that in the Bible, it's many times pictures of ladies... To, embody a type of church, if you will. Let me just run you through so you'll know what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter 15, there's a woman who had ten coins. She lost one, and she cleaned the house, swept the floors, looked everywhere, seeking that which was lost. And that lady epitomizes the church that's seeking that which is lost. In the Old Testament, there was a harlot. I know that means she was a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. But when God's people needed her, she hid those messengers so they wouldn't get killed. And that's, that's a picture of the church that's protecting and, and covering God's people. In Hosea, there's another woman pictured. Her name is Gomer. Gomer. Hosea married Gomer, and she became an unfaithful wife. Chased after other lovers. And that's a picture of a church that has replaced God and gone after other gods. You can move on over into the Bible, and you can see in Proverbs 31, we read the virtuous woman, but that pictures the church who gives everything she can to do and complete God's work. And then today, we read about this lady. Who pictures another kind of a church? A church who adores her bridegroom. A church who worships her bridegroom. A a church who worships authentically. Now, I'm aware that in today's culture there's much talk about worship. (laughs) And and, and it's amusing to me, but it's saddening to me. So many people feel like they know what worship's about. I mean, you give a guy a guitar and let him learn four chords, and he's going to lead in worship. Actually, he leads in music, and many times he never knows what worship is, because honestly, most don't know what worship is, because the people who really think they know what worship is have never invested themselves in God's Word to discover what authentic, biblical worship is. If we're honest with ourselves, and... That's a hard thing to be if we're honest with ourselves. Our concept of worship comes from our tradition. It comes from what we've seen somebody do for the last 50, 60, or 70 years because it's been done 50 or 60, 70 years, it's right. I heard a preacher say not long ago, wasn't me, but I heard a preacher say not long ago that if the average church member understood what authentic worship was all about, they wouldn't bother coming to church. And why would a preacher say that? Because of what worship demands. So here's what I want to do. We're going to take just a minute right now in the introductory part of this message. And let's just see a few of the verses that the Scripture te- gives us about worship. First of all, Psalm 29 says, watch this, and I'm going to try to emphasize it. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due, His name. Worship The Lord, in the splendor of holiness. Then you go to Psalm 95. This is only a smattering of many um, scriptures. Oh, come. Watch this. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Then when you get to Psalm 96, it is a whole plethora of a chapter. Watch this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the people, and it continues by saying, For great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him, and strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe, give, Devote to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. And this, what we'll read, just ends with this verse. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. That's just the Old Testament. If you get to the New Testament, you get to John chapter 4. You remember what happened in John chapter 4? Jesus met the woman at the well. And when he met the woman at the well, they started talking about her life. And when she got uncomfortable with her life, she changed it to worship. She said, our fathers say you've got to worship on, on this mountain. And this was Jesus' summation. But the hour is coming, says Jesus, and, now, and it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And these are only just a few of the many, of the many texts that tell us about worship has nothing to do with style, has nothing to do with instruments. It's talking about us seeing Him. And in my own heart, the two greatest pictures of worship are found in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 1. Isaiah 6 opens, and the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And you know what the result was? When he saw the Lord... I think he fell on his knees, if not on his face. And he says, woe is me. I am unworthy, I am unclean, and I am undone. But he didn't just stop there. You know what else he said, brothers and sisters? He said, I live among a bunch of of people who are just like me. Then you get to... Then you get to Revelation chapter 1. Now you remember Revelation was written by John the Beloved, the one who sat right by Jesus at the Lord's Supper. And when John got a glimpse of the glorified Lord, those eyes of fire, the Scripture says that he fell on his face as if he were dead. I think we're getting glimpses of of what worship really are. What worship really is. And here's what I want to say to you. As we come to this woman today, we get to look at her attitudes. We get to look at her actions. We get to look at, watch this folks, this is a part of worship. Her affection for the Lord. She came to Him to honor Him. She brought the best that she had. And she gave it to him. And interesting, now please go ahead and get mad. You could just, why don't you look at your neighbor and say, I'm getting mad at the preacher this morning. Go ahead and do that. Thank you. Here's what I want to tell you. She didn't sing a hymn. She didn't sing a praise song. She didn't sing a Southern gospel song. In fact, she didn't sing anything at all. She brought what she had and she gave it to Jesus. Her focus was on Jesus. That's worship. Louis Giglio has been writing books and speaking for a lot of years, and I want you to see what his, what his definition of worship is. In the, in the book, The Air I Breathe, he writes, Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God. For who He is, what He has done, expressed in and by, watch this, the things we say and the way we live. If the only time you worship, I'm going to say this again this morning, if the only time you consider yourself worshiping holy God is on Sunday morning, chances are you've missed the boat. Because worship is an outgrowth of what happens in our private time. Oh, Brother Jerry, I don't have a private time. Then you're probably not ever getting close enough to him to worship him. You see, today we're going to look at this woman, we're going to see what she did, we're going to see what she gave, we're going to see what she received, we're going to recognize that without holding back, she gave everything she had to Jesus and gave us the greatest picture of worship we can imagine. Now before I just give you these three simple thoughts that I want to give you this morning, before I do that, let me say this to you, worship is a powerful thing we're talking about worship, please listen, everybody, we are not talking about passive worship. We're talking about passionate worship. Quite honestly, I don't think you can worship anything passively. Some of us worship things and don't really appreciate the preacher pointing this out, but I'll start with me. You may have a favorite golfer. That you worship. Well, I don't worship him. Well, yeah, you? you do because you'll change your schedule. You'll change, uh, you'll spend your money. You'll do whatever's required to see that golfer playing. Well, it could be a golfer. It can be a race car driver. It can be a ball team. It can be a hobby. Because here's what I'll tell you. The thing that you worship, you don't have any problem inviting your friends to go with you. I want to say that again. Whatever you worship, you do not have a problem inviting your friends to come go with you. That would have been a good place for an amen. So let's take just a biblical look, a spiritual look, a godly look at this text. And I just want to give you three thoughts about this text as it relates to authentic worship. Worship, first of all, is the atmosphere of heaven. If you don't like worship down here, you don't like get caught up in worship down here. Chances are, you may not like heaven because when I say it's the atmosphere, I'm not talking about the air, the sky, or like that. I'm talking about the ambiance. I'm talking about the mood, the setting, the feeling, the tone, the environment. It's what goes on in heaven. As I look at this text, and I pick up in verse, in verse 3, and I, and I see that they're sitting in the house of Simon the leper. He was reclining, quite likely, they were eating and just having a good old time. One preacher suggested by this point in the life of Jesus, they had gotten accustomed to Jesus. I mean, they'd followed him for three years. And before you get on them for getting accustomed to Jesus, how often do we walk down the aisle and we give our hearts to Christ? God steps out of heaven. He steps into our hearts and we're on fire. And it's so real. Tears flow because we know how bad we've been like this woman. We know how bad we've been and we know how much love he's extended to us, that he loved us more, that he left heaven and he came to earth for us. And we are so full. And then a little time later, no big deal. Somebody suggested these guys, they're just eating and having a good time. But here's what I'm going to tell you the atmosphere changed when the woman walked in. When she walked in carrying that expensive flask, when she walked in full devotion showing, reverence showing, when she offered him her best as her Lord, the mood changed, and all of a sudden, they were they were required to move off of this horizontal, um, superficial focus, and they were required all of a sudden to be remem- to remember who he was and that he was God. And their focus was all of a sudden not horizontal. All of a sudden, their focus went vertical. Brother Jerry, how do you get this that? Worships the environment of heaven because every time that we get a picture of heaven, all they're doing is worshiping. In, John, in Revelation chapter 4, old John was raptured into heaven. When he was raptured into heaven, you know what you he heard? Four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes around them and within, and day and night. Now, you don't like this? They never cease to say. Will somebody say, never with me? Never. They never cease to say. Oh, this is a chorus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they never ceased to say it. I used to get tickled at people. There was an old song called, I Could Sing of His Love Forever, and the chorus was that line four times repeated. So if you sang it three times, you'd have sung it a dozen times. And one time a man came up to me and he said, Hey, preacher, do we have to sing that that much? And I said, what? So... I can sing of his love forever as long as it's not more than 12 times. Does anybody catch that? These guys never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Well, it did build up a little bit. And whenever the living creatures give honor and glory and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him, who is seated on the throne and worship Him, who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crown before the throne saying, "What this, Worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, you know what we can do? We can go over into verse five, chapter 5, and we can read the whole thing. But let me just give you the summation. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, watch this, to him... Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures shouted, Amen. You see, worship is what goes on in heaven. When you step into heaven, you step into an environment where everyone is giving authentic worship. And glory and honor to him, because it is the most natural thing to do. Just let me just play with your mind a second. If you get in a mob, you could get drugged into doing things you don't want to do. I, I remember watching the westerns and it was supposed to be a depiction, and a guy would be charged with killing somebody, and everybody was very emotional about it. So what did they do? They got the mob together, went down, ripped the guy out of jail and strung him up. They didn't care about justice. And afterwards, someone of would go, you know, I don't know why I did that. Have you ever been caught up in a mob like that where they did something wrong or, or where the, the environment said, we need to go this way, and afterwards, over you going, you know what, I didn't really believe what we did. I don't know why I did it. It is the power of the environment. It is the power, good or bad, of those who lead that thing. What I want to say to us we come together in a church and our attention goes to him and he steps out of heaven into our building and all of a sudden in the twinkling of an eye in a moment the environment changes. Look at what happens. People who don't know the Lord in the building, they walk away remembering. What it's like to be in the presence of holy God. Worship's not only the the atmosphere of heaven. The second thing I'll say to you, the worship is the anointing of the heart. The anointing of the heart. I picture this lady, a type of church, anointing and lavishing Jesus with her best. She brought the flask. She anointed him. She gave him all that she had. Now, anointing was very common in those days. And they anointed things for a number of reasons. They had anoint things for a sacred and a holy use. They would anoint kings. They would anoint prophets. They would anoint vessels. You got guests into your house. You anointed as a sign of hospitality. An individual would anoint themselves as a way of refreshing themselves. In fact, you go to Arabia today, you'll still see that happening today. They anointed people for medical use to to promote healing. Even they used it for military use. You've you've heard about and last week I articulated the um, armor of God. Those Roman soldiers had a shield, and that shield was most likely covered by leather. And they would anoint that leather so that the leather... "...would stay healthy and not crack and stand up to warfare." So, when you marry all those concepts about anointing to the anointing oil that she had, and you remember that that anointing oil that the Bible speaks of is the Holy Spirit coming into our soul, when you marry those concepts, boy, some things really become clear, and here it is... When she gave Jesus her best, when she gave Jesus her full devotion, when she gave Jesus all she had, Jesus sent the healing salve on her heart. Because when everybody else was criticizing her, he turned and he said, She has done a beautiful thing. It occurs to me that if Jesus were to appear here today, and he would look at my heart and your heart. What might he say? Would he say, oh, you've done a beautiful thing this morning. You've given me your best. You've opened your heart to me. Some people will tell us that Jesus takes our hearts. And except for the one in Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus. I don't believe that. I believe generally Jesus invites us to give Him our hearts. I will just say this to you so you're not confused. If you're going to be Jesus' teenagers, are you listening? If you're going to be Jesus' kids, He requires your heart. You see, when we worship our heart, worship with all of our heart, when our hearts become anointed with worship, then we become set aside for that work that He's called us to. It prepares us to be pliable, like that leather shield. We can be pliable in the face of battle. We can be pliable in the hands of the Father. And it will bring healing to our hearts, our hurting hearts. When we worship like this lady did, our lives are changed. Like this lady's was. Does anybody know the name of this lady? Isn't it interesting that this unnamed lady has been echoed throughout all time, not for who she was, but what she did. Jesus said it down in verse 9, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, what she's done will be told about. And that brings us to the last thought of the day. Worship, authentic worship, is the all or nothing of your heart. Now, if you've not been listening, I pray you'll listen from here in. It's all or nothing. And let me illustrate it this way. Over the course of time, teenagers, you'll appreciate this. I have identified spiritual commitment like this. Kids, if you were to obey your parents, they were to give you a list of things to do, ten things to do, and you did nine of them, would they think you obeyed them? <laughs> well, what if you did nine and almost got that fi- finished? Nah. You know what they call partial obedience? Disobedience. Adults, those with, with spouses, you wouldn't accept your spouses 99% of faithfulness. 100 days, you married. Ninety-nine days, that rascal is as faithful as he can be, but they're one day. Would you take that? No, because it's unfaithful. You see, the same thing is true in our worship. When when this woman came to Jesus with this alabaster flask of expensive ointment, you need to hear this, she didn't just take the lid off, pour a little in her hands, Put that lid back on, rub it on her hands, and rub it on Jesus. And by the way, this was big stuff for her. Because in those days, the value that a single woman had was in how much money she had. This alabaster flask of ointment is suggested to have been worth one year wages. This was her dowry. This was her her lure to get a good husband. And yet when she came to Jesus, she didn't take the lid off. She broke it. And when she broke it, she literally spilled it all over Jesus. Luke tells us in Luke 7 that she quite likely took her hands and she rubbed it in, her, in his hair. And then she's behind him as she felt his grace come to her. And now she's at his feet weeping. You know why she's weeping? I'm encouraged when I see people say they come to Jesus and they weep because it reminds me of how I felt when I came to Jesus because I was so unworthy. And he was so worthy. I was so sinful. He was so sinless. He had such forgiveness for me in a way that I couldn't imagine. And she's weeping at his feet. And then she does something that, A woman just doesn't do in that culture. She took that long, beautiful hair down and she dried his feet from her tears. Tears. She held nothing back. Folks, I'm afraid that in in the Americanized church that we have such a skewed view of what worship is that we have in our generation little hope of returning to it. For our teenagers, some of our younger folks seem to be getting it. I love to hear Austin talk about, man, people need to go after God. Go after God. And that's what he's talking about, passionate worship. So to end today, as we talk about it's all or nothing, we will have passionate worship return to us personally. when We remember three things. First of all, authentic worship has only one object. One object. It's sad to say. No, it's not really sad to say It's sad that it's the truth. But worship is not about singing your favorite song. In fact, it's not about singing any song. It's not about any style. It's not about instruments. Authentic worship is about encountering a holy God. I'll say it again. If the only time you want to encounter a holy God is in this room, once a week, chances are it won't happen. Unless somebody else takes up the slack for you. Because our worship, our worship flows out of our private life. We set a goal of coming together corporately to meet with Him and bring honor to Him. I want you to think about that lady with the flask. She came into this room, and the reason she came into this room is, we know from Luke, is that she learned where Jesus would be, and she came in with one thing on her mind. Him. She knew He was the answer For her soul. She knew that he was the answer for her sin. She knew that he was the answer for life. And her laser-like focus caused her to come into that room and not be distracted. And there were many distractions there. And her attitude led to total and complete, complete submission to him. We see that. She's at his feet. She's behind him. She's poured all the ointment. Once she broke that ointment, let me tell you how that worked. The fragrance she could never get back. The oil she could never retrieve. What a picture of authentic worship. One object. But authentic worship has only one opposer, too. Verse 4 and 5 to me are sad commentaries, but they're very contemporary verses. Verse 4 begins, there were some. There are some who said to themselves indignantly, may I just say this to you? Hate me, that's fine. There are always some. There are always some. There are always some who are going to oppose the real life in the Spirit. There's always some that when spiritual life begins to exude, they're going to fight it and they're going to try to control it. They're going to try to take it over. When our spiritual worship becomes live and and we begin to point people to Jesus by how we interact with Satan, there are going to be people there standing at the top of their lungs. You don't do that. But I want to just tell you, those people aren't the enemy. They aren't the opposer. The real opposer... To authentic worship goes by many names. Deceiver, Lucifer, the enemy. But the name that we can identify him best by is Satan. You see, when you come into this place corporately, and you come in with one object, and you come in to worship him authentically, submitting all that you are, and you do it in public, and yes, you might raise your hands... Yes, you might sing out loud. Somebody will say to you, why are you doing that? Why are you wasting all that energy? Why are you pouring out all that oil? we got a ball field that needs that energy. We have a club that needs that energy. We, need, we have other things that need your energy, time, and talent. There'll be some in the church that'll simply say, you can't do that. I love it when Kevin Hound goes. They come in and they just say, we don't do that here. Why not? Why not? The enemy is not the one that's standing in front of you telling you can't do it. The enemy is the one that that person is actually speaking for. Brother Jerry, are you saying they're full of the devil? No, I'm just telling you that the devil's got the upper hand in that subject. The opposer, Satan, has his bunch Fired up to make sure God's bunch never gets fired up. Say that again. Satan has his bunch fired up to make sure God's bunch never gets fired up. In a Baptist church, that's probably called the Cold Water Committee. Authentic worship has one object, has one opposer. And when authentic worship is finally experienced, and witnessed. It has only one outcome. Only one outcome. The power of authentic worship. Remember the power. Because here's the power of authentic worship. When people experience authentic worship, they remember. Over the past two and a half years, we've had a couple of dozen people to journey from here in the fall to go to... Albany, Georgia, to Sherwood Church. Sherwood Church is not a perfect church. Michael Cat was standing here beside me. He'd say the same thing. They're not a perfect church. I won't tell you what. When you walk into the worship center, you'll see people worshiping unashamedly, authentically, one object. You see, folks, here's what I will say to you, but it don't have to just be there. Some people go to another church. I have some friends that I was their pastor for a while, and they said, "You know what, when I need a real charge, I just go in there, when I need a real supercharge, James, I go to this is so church. And they had been fighting us on everything we were trying to do to bring authentic worship to that place, and I said, "Well, why are you leaving it over there? Why can't we do it here?" And you know what their response was, well, good people, these were not bad people, but you know what their response was? Never thought about that. That was their spark plug. I didn't know what we were and I was afraid to ask if you just want to know. The truth is, the truth is, this woman, the reason that her act is proclaimed wherever the gospel is told, it's not because of what she said. It's not because of what she's done. They watched her and she only cared about honoring her Lord. She only cared about giving to her Lord. She only cared about worshiping Jesus as her Lord. And I'll just tell you, wouldn't it be great if the Hueytown Hotline went to blaze about the passionate worship experience in this place? You see, this woman, she came to Jesus trusting what He could do She came trusting that he could do what he said he could do, and as a result, this is what happened. Her sins were forgiven, her past was taken care of, and her future was secured because she came anointing and worshiping the Lord, and she anointed the Lord who then anointed her. Now, you can call that what you want, but for me, that almost sounds like salvation. That almost sounds like And when she came to Jesus, he gave her eternal life. You see, watch this. I know you're tired. We're about ready to go. Hang on, just a little longer. She gave him all she had. And he gave her all he had. Who got the best deal? You see, when you give Jesus all you are in repentance, he'll give you all he is in life. It's an old hymn. It goes like this. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the Word? Watch this. This is the tough part. All is vain, empty. Without value. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. I have to be honest with you. When I was typing my manuscript on Tuesday, I'm a pretty good typer. And I, and I typed typed it and then I went back and read it. This is what I would written. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pay with all your power while we try to preach the word? I just left out the R, and it hit me between the eyes. Is that not what we try to do in America? We try to pay with all our power so somebody else will do what God's called us to do. We miss the blessing. We miss the growth. We miss the worship. She broke that flask in worship and everything spilled out. I want to give you a personal illustration to end. If we're really going to authentically and passionately worship our Lord. Consider this. Many of you remember in the days of old when we had a piggy bank that didn't have any holes on it. What you did is you dropped and bunny in that piggy bank and then when you wanted that piggy bank, what did you do? Does anybody remember that but me? You had to break that piggy bank. Here's the deal. What if you had a piggy bank...